Welcome to the Your Mom Has a Blog podcast. I'm Chad Edgington. Melissa Edgington. I'm excited tonight to be on the podcast. <laughs> Man, Your Mom Has a Blog podcast, <laughs> May Madness, 31 things to teach your kids in 31 days. Here we are on day six. Six. <laughs> You've already lost track of days. Yeah. See, it's May 6th, remember? It's, it's episode day. 55, but May 6th, but the sixth thing, sixth right. part of May Madness. Exactly. Yeah, so, man, this is exciting because we, we have never done a Sunday night podcast. Never. Sunday night. So Sunday nights, we're normally very worn out and tired. But right whenever the podcast music started, I felt an injection of just pure energy. I can tell. <laughs> Probably it comes from this this wonderful peach tea drink I just made up for myself <laughs> using um, big low peach tea, caffeine free, and a lot of stevia. <laughs> caffeine free? Yeah, it's caffeine free. So yeah. has it, all of the um, all of the the hyperness that I'm having right now is totally herbal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, t- I'm going to take another big gulp of it. Hmm. Hmm. That is so good. Mm. I wish all of you could enjoy that peachy drink. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so it's a uh, Sunday night. How, how was your? We we were, we did some stuff uh, together today at church, and then we were also apart. Yes. So uh, I got to church at seven thirty, and uh, let's see, I studied a little bit, played a little guitar. Printed some things off. Then it was 8.30, and y'all showed up. Yeah. And we sang our song. And I must say, uh, it was a dream come true. <laughs> I had no idea you'd always wanted I'd to sing. I always wanted to sing that song in church, and I felt like that was just one of those that you just couldn't do because it's too hard. Oh. And I said it in church. I was like, uh, I just want to thank everyone. <laughs> I said it. Uh, I've always wanted to sing this song in church, and I just thank God for making my dream come true. <laughs> and I looked over at Jake, who was our other tenor, who plays bass, and the crazy he was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this has been your lifelong dream. You wanted to sing Jesus is Coming Soon in church. But, you know, and Carol did so good on the piano, and everybody sang so well. It was really it was so fun. You're really easy to please. It was a, Well, because I, I – did you notice I sang it like I was one of those guys? Troublesome times are here, filling each heart with fear. Freedom we all hold dear. Now is that stay? You didn't sing it like that. It sounded a lot like that. There's a video. There's a video, and you can listen to it, and it sounds a lot like that. Yeah. Morning or night or noon, many will meet their doom. I love watching those old videos. I know I've said this on the podcast way long time ago, but if you can just pull up on YouTube and all you have to, you just, just somehow you have to find it. It's this family of singers. They were called the Happy Goodman family because I think their dad's name was Happy, which more people should be named Happy. That probably sets you up for a great life. Don't you think he got that name because of his disposition? <laughs> I don't know. I doubt that's what was on his what birth certificate. I never have thought about that. I thought their parents just like... It's probably a nickname. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he looked like one of the dwarfs. I don't know. 
I mean, the guy's name was Happy Goodman, right? I'm going to look it up. Happy Goodman. Okay, let's see. The Happy Goodman family. All I don't right. think it's going to... Oh, his name, yeah, you're right. His name was Howard. I'm so stupid. Yeah, of course. Like, who names their kid Happy? <laughs> but, I'm, but I guess what I'm saying is more people should do that. Yeah. Because I bet he was a very jovial person. But what if you name a kid Happy and then he's, <laughs> he's really like depressed? Really ad- yeah, yeah. Then it's ironic. <laughs> and that's cool, too. So basically, if you name your kid Happy, you can't go wrong. But his name was Howard. Yeah. And he was a happy guy. Howard Happy Goodman. And his family was a famous Southern gospel family. And so if you look it up on, you know, Google or YouTube, you can find tons of videos. His wife was really famous because her name was Vesta. And she was just a Vest, Vestal, Vestal. Vestal. And Vestal was just a, boy, she was a, a firecracker. Had a great, you know, just had one of those voices. And he would play the piano and they would all sing. What you have to find are the Happy Goodman videos. I'm kind of perusing um, or browsing, browsing Google. And if you can find the uh, the Happy Goodman singers on the program, it was an old program of the 60s called Jubilee. And you can just watch YouTube videos of gospel groups that were on this program in the 60s called Jubilee. You could waste a solid uh, month of your life, as I've done in the past. <laughs> Just any spare time I've had, just listening to these old Southern Gospel. Southern Gospel used to be a huge deal. Yeah. Are you aware of that? Yeah. Like it was a it, Southern Gospel music at one time was, uh, it was what we would think of now as like CCM or, I mean, it was the popular, that was popular music, mainly was, was Southern Gospel music. Yeah. I think popular Christian music, a lot of... I think that, you know, of course now it's uh, <clears throat> not as popular, but they used to have Southern Gospel, you know, many more Southern Gospel radio stations and people would buy the records and it was just a bigger deal. I think now it's not as big of a deal. But during the heyday of Southern Gospel music, there were television shows that ran on networks and, and people would just get up in, on Sunday mornings and watch Southern Gospel shows. That Jubilee show is one of them. I, I, I'm just telling you, it's maybe an era or a uh, uh, a segment of like popular Christianity or something that you should check out. And it's really cool. Do you like it? Do you like Southern Gospel music? Mm-hmm. I always well, I have. think you're a fan. Melissa's dad actually has a recorded probably five or six albums worth of Southern Gospel music that he writes himself. It's amazing. And he's had Southern Gospel groups record his songs. So that's that's kind of a neat connection that you have to Southern Gospel. He's, he's got a Christmas song that's going to be coming out in 2019. 2019. So yeah. not this Christmas, but, but next, next Christmas. Wow, man. That's how far ahead they plan on those That's amazing. Records, yeah. Huh. It's by a guy named, uh, is it Ernie? Wait, are we allowed to say that? Oh, oh okay. We can't say it. It's by a guy named Herman. It's a. It might be a secret. I don't. <clears throat> That's know. a secret. It's a secret. So there's a top secret um, Southern gospel singer. He's kind of like an undercover. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I don't know if that gets back. If it gets back to this guy that we're talking about, it he might shut our podcast down. Because yes. those Southern gospel guys are very powerful. They are. Yeah, they call the like, shots. They're like the CIA of yeah, the Christian world. Yeah, there's something. There's something. So anyway, how did we get off on? The, oh, I got to sing that song. And then you had to go do 
the, you, what you had to do after the music today is the reason that I aspired to be a senior pastor. What, that I went and taught children's church? I never wanted to help with that. <laughs> so I thought, what is the one way that you can never have to help with children's church? And the answer is, if you're the pastor, then you never have to help with children's church. You would have fun if you were down there. No, I'm sure it's fine. How, what did y'all do? Did y'all make paper airplanes? or? No, we, we studied um, Jesus walking on water today. Okay. So basically, we just corralled kids the whole time you were preaching. So That's, it's yeah. really important to me that the Holy Spirit doesn't inspire a sermon longer than about 40 minutes on Children's Church Day. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. What was, the, what, was, what was that at T4G where uh, somebody was talking about short sermons or something like that? And, you know, uh, maybe it was one of the panels. It was Mark Dever. What, what was, it? was it a panel discussion or something? I think it was a panel discussion and somebody talked about preaching a short sermon. And and people cheered, and he said, "That's all the nursery workers from my church, right? <laughs> right? They're cheering for short sermons." Uh, but, but yeah, I think that really does. We had a, a really neat family, kind of first time visitors came in tonight, and they were back there with their kids, and I and I raced through my sermon because I thought, you know, I bet they don't want to sit through an hour sermon. Yeah. So I gave about a thirty-five minute one, which is really still a long sermon. Like a, and I and I, I maybe that's what's happening to our church. Like I'm training them to accept a 45 minute sermon is normal. <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes I well that's, that's about what they feel is normal now. Because yeah. I've looked at a clock. Usually I start preaching at 11:15, and I preach almost till noon. Yeah. They sit there for a 45 minute sermon. Yeah. And so then lately, whenever I've been doing like 35 or 38-minute sermons, they've just been celebrating out in the lobby after supper. <laughs> that was amazing. We're out, and it's not even noon yet. There's still one minute until noon. <laughs> People are like, so why, why do you – Chad, why only um, – why do you give a 25-second invitation? It's like, because I, I've preached all the time away. I mean, we have to go. <laughs> I really do try to get every, I try, want it to be over at noon. I think once people will give you until noon at church and then they're just kind of like, but I want them to, I don't want them to think, oh, we've got to wait till he finishes his sermon and he's going to stand there down there forever and do an invitation. And then he's going to give announcements forever. So we usually wrap it up. Yeah. So that was, uh, so you did children's church. My sermon actually, um, you know, and I was, I felt it was really, um, so you said last night you were talking hellfire and brimstone. Did you go for it? Uh, yeah, I went for it. I was. I'm. I'm trying to remember what we talked about last night, and not. I'm not. I don't want to sound like I'm bragging because I'm really not bragging. That's the thing. I guess what I was saying last night was, you depend upon the Lord for every, everything. Mm-hmm. And I was standing in my office this morning praying. And I just said, help me to preach this sermon in a way that makes sense, because I'm not sure, looking back over the notes or the way that I wrote it out, that I felt that it made much sense mm. in the way that I was talking about. this. The, I was trying to just say, there's a lot of accounts of the Last Supper um, and Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. And I wanted to kind of hit on the things that happened in that upper room. But when you read the accounts, the order, it's hard to tell. And some Judas is there, some he's gone. You kind of have to piece it together. And I said, you know, realize when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are writing about these things <clears throat> in the events of the, the life of Jesus, 
they were just they were not concerned about chronology. Do you ever think about that? Not I mean, I don't know if I have ever thought about that. Well that sometimes you read it and there'll be a story here, you know, like the the cleansing of the temple, was it cleansed twice or was it just cleansed once? Or yeah. you start to read these things. And the best best explanation I ever heard for that of why sometimes a story is told differently in one gospel than another is that they weren't concerned about the precision of an order of events, but they were concerned about their audience and they want, and they each had an audience and they each wanted to tell that audience what they thought was most important. So instead of ordering things by, well, this happened and then this happened and this happened and this happened, maybe they put the most important thing first. Yeah. Or maybe sometimes they saved the most important thing for last. They just thought different. Their brains are different than our brains. They had 2,000 year ago brains that wrote in a different way, communicated in a different way. I mean, I'm sure when you were writing something 2,000 years ago, I mean, think about how easy it is for you to write something and get it to the whole world. Yeah. I mean, you did it today. And you, I won't tell you that was a fantastic article. <laughs> that was, I mean, come on, y'all. Y'all, seriously, y'all <laughs> got to read what my wife wrote. She did a major takedown of um, of modernity. <laughs> she took modernity and she put it in a, a headlock. And then she she just basically dropped that thing on its head. Body slammed it. Body slam, yeah. But I mean, you 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 write something down. You hit one button. Anyone in the world can see it. It wasn't that way when Paul was writing. Yeah. I've heard it cost something like two to five thousand dollars to write a biblical. I mean, in our our currency, it would have cost Paul two to thousand two to five thousand dollars to write one of those epistles. Really. Because it was so expensive to get paper. But that's really not the point of where I was going. The point of where I was going, <laughs> yes, it's expensive. It was expensive to get paper, uh, and it was, and they were, you know, treasuring those things. But they still, and we still treasure them today. But they spoke in their minds worked in such a, a different way. So whenever I was trying to work that sermon out, it was, it was, uh, it was. I thought, is this a mess? You know. Yeah. And. And then I did decide I wanted to talk about hell and see how, you know, you wonder how that's going to be received. And, you know, it was just one of those things where after the sermon was over, you you, you kind of, I don't expect feedback much anymore. I think people expect you to do your job and preach to them. And the people said, well, you know, because I, I, I did bring the hellfire and yeah. I did talk about uh, hell is a real place. And people seeing this, well, that that was very convicting, you know how 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 we don't ever talk about hell, and it kind of the fact that we never talk about it maybe keeps us from worrying that people might go there. Right. We like believe that, that there's hell, but then we also don't really act like there's hell. So that was interesting that it got a lot of feedback, even though uh, you know you think something's going to be a mess. And sweet Mrs. Strader, you know what she told me? Best sermon you ever preached. Mm-hmm. She said it was my masterpiece. So tell us about Mrs. Strader's philosophy on masterpieces. Well, um... What is a masterpiece, Melissa? A masterpiece is the best work that you've done up to this point. 
And so, Ms. Strader, at many points in our life, since we've known her, have declared things that we've done to be our masterpiece. That's one of the most awesome things about her encouragement, is because she can always say that that was a masterpiece. That was your masterpiece. Yeah. She's the best. And then, because she's saying, you keep getting better. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice when she says that. It was an absolute masterpiece. (laughs) Like, what pastor is so lucky to have a lady that you just walk into the fellowship hall for senior adult Sunday meal, and she's like, come here. That sermon was a ma- What other preachers heard that today? I know. That's really being blessed. You're really blessed. <clears throat> that lady is so sweet. Mm. You're blessed and highly favored. Blessed and highly favored. <laughs> but, uh, that, that, you know, you, but that's all really the Lord. I mean, you, I'm telling you, preach, only preachers know this about how much they are up there on like a wing and a prayer. Only preachers understand that when they get up there, people who do public speaking realize that this thing could be a total disaster if I just draw a blank for a few <laughs> seconds. Yeah. You could create a really awkward pause at church. Yeah. What have you learned from public speaking that's really helped you appreciate all those poor preachers that you've said such <laughs> terrible things about your whole life? I have not. <laughs> okay, mainly me. <laughs> I have learned that there are so many distractions when you're up there trying to speak. And it is the weirdest thing that, uh, like, a distraction can go on that other people aren't even aware that it's a distraction, really. And your mouth is still moving, and you're still saying things, but it's like your brain is is way off somewhere, (laughs) wherever that distraction is. The most distracting thing for me, though, is distracted people. Mm. Yeah. Like a distraction only really starts to affect me when I see everyone's head turn and look. And the weirdest thing is it always feels like those distractions happen at a point that you really want people to catch. You know what that is? It's Satan. That's the devil. <laughs> it's the devil knows right when, right when to poke that baby and make it cry. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's go ahead and get to our... our uh, Number six on things to teach your kids. And tonight is teach your kids to look forward to things. So, Chad, what what made you write this one down on your list? Well, I was just thinking about how we go on vacations and, you know, look, we have things that we plan out in the future that we really look forward to. And I think we kind of bring the kids in on the planning phases. Yeah. And give them something to look forward to. I think you kind of teach them about delaying gratification, about how it's good to not, you you don't always have everything right now. Maybe you're looking forward to buying something when you've saved the money. Maybe you're looking forward to a vacation, a holiday, um, you know, a, a birthday party. And sometimes the the anticipation of something is better than the thing itself because it kind of gives you something to be, uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It gives you something. It's to, a motivator. Yeah, the, it gives you something to be excited about. Excited about. I don't, that's <laughs> not the word I'm trying to think of, but whatever it is. <laughs> well, I read. <clears throat> optimistic, uh, maybe, is a better word. A few years ago, I read in a travel magazine that you should never plan a surprise vacation for your family mm. because. You know, 70% of the enjoyment of a vacation is the anticipation 
of the vacation. And so whenever you plan it as a surprise, then you're robbing your family of that anticipation, those months of looking forward to it. And that applies to a lot of things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I'm not saying I would not be judging those people. Everyone's always quick to be judged. Like if you've done the thing where you got the kids up one day and you're like, hey, we're going to Disney World, that was probably awesome too. Yeah. But there's also some there's also a benefit in teaching kids to look forward to something and I'm not <clears> saying you do something wrong if you do that. Yeah. I just read that and I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And after I after I read that, I realized, you know, that really is, I mean, half the fun of a vacation is just looking forward to it mm-hmm. and counting the days, you know. Yeah, just being excited and optimistic and whatever that other missing word that I can't think of is. <laughs> It's driving me crazy. But there are a lot of things, you know, in your kids' lives that you can help them look forward to. Even things that maybe they are viewing in a negative way, you can help them to see the positive things about it to look forward to. And there are a lot of things you can do to just keep a more positive atmosphere and a positive attitude in your house. I think by doing that, you know, even little things, you know, if we say, hey, um, on Friday after school, we're gonna we're gonna drive to Wichita Falls and we're gonna go eat dinner. I mean, then you can say all week if things are going badly in a kid's week or they don't want to go to school, then you can always say, "Hey, two hey, more remember, days. Remember, we're going to Wichita Falls. Let's think about where we want to eat whenever we go." Mm-hmm. And then I think that just helps them to have something out there that is positive that they can look to while they're doing maybe the thing that they are not excited about doing. Yeah. I remember when we were yet younger, we're still young, right? No. Um, we were younger. I had a job that I really despised and it was a horrific year for me. Is this and, when you worked um, at Dillard's? No. This was in Lubbock. It was my first year oh, of teaching in yeah, Lubbock, which yeah. was a very difficult year. And um, after after that first year, I loved my job there at that school. But the first year was very rough. Mm-hmm. And Chad was in his first year of law school. And, rough year. Um, you know, we would go home to visit our parents. And then I would cry when we would leave. Do you remember that? To go back to Lubbock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... Um, Many tears. The second semester of that year... Chad said to me, probably in March, he said, I have made us a reservation at the bed and breakfast where we had our honeymoon in Mm. Granbury, Texas. Um, And I've made that reservation for the first week of summer Mm. because I want you to have something to look forward to at Mm. the end of the school year. And you know what? That... That was not a huge thing, you know, or a huge expense or anything, but that really helped me in a weird way mm-hmm. to get through the rest of my school year because I thought there's that nice thing that we're going to go do, you know, if I can just mm-hmm. get through these next couple of months. Yeah. <clears throat> and you teach kids when you teach them in this way or speak to them in this way that this is kind of the way it works. In the very beginning, God said, uh, you know, through the creation account, we understand there's a pattern. There's like a Sabbath pattern, right? Right. Always get it wrong. Work, 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 rest. Work, 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 rest. That this is the pattern that's been established 
and we need we kind of need that. I mean, of course, we think of a Saturday, a Sunday, going to church, and that's our service to the Lord. But on that seventh day, He rested. Um, <clears throat> that there's there's a pattern of work and rest that's instituted there. That I think that something humans need. That's like a way that we function. Is is we can look forward to that day of rest. But there's a there's a uh, the problem is when you get that out of whack and you and you do rest 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 work. You, you know, right. uh, that, that it's, it's, so you can monkey with that and it messes up the way humans are supposed to operate to flourish. But whenever we have a good work to rest ratio, I think we have those six days where we work hard because we're looking forward to that rest, looking forward to whatever it is, the reward for our labor. And that's exciting, too, to teach that to kids and that when they work really hard. And then there, there's a reward that they can look forward to. Yeah. For example, Sawyer worked really hard with me in the yard the other day. And then when we were done, I said, hey, let's go to Sonic and get a drink. And then whenever we got in the truck and we were going to go get a drink, he said, well, I mean, I drink only water. So, I mean, going to Sonic isn't really that big a deal. There's apparently a rewards program at school where they get a kid a Sonic drink. Yeah. And he said... I just drink water. I mean, I get that out of the fountain. I mean, it's like, like what good is get water from Sonic? So I don't know. It's good for his teeth, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, it's important for parents also to have something to look forward to with their kids. I think that there are times whenever you go through a rough phase of parenting, maybe, or just a rough phase in your family life. And it's good to have even little things that you can look forward to. That will help to just give the more positive spin on your phase of life and your family dynamic. Um, so don't like think I'm, it's... I'm looking forward right now to all the kids graduating. Are, is that what you're talking about? <laughs> don't think it's just for the kids, though, because it can be a very bonding experience to have something that you're anticipating together. When we're planning vacations or trips... We get on the internet and we show the kids the yeah. hotel and we look at all the restaurants that are nearby and it just kind of gets the whole family involved and it makes us all more excited, I think, mm-hmm. about things that are coming up. Mm-hmm. And you can do the same thing, gosh, even with um, worship, you know, to get to, I like to go in on Sunday morning and as I'm dressed and about to leave early, I'll go in and maybe Emerald will be awake and. Well, I'll say, you know what today is? And she always, it's kind of a giveaway, like when I walk in with a suit on. Yeah. Uh, it's church day because you're all dressed up. <laughs> and I say, well, what are you going to do today at church? What, what's going to happen, you know? And she tells me about her teachers and that they'll go down to the basement and they'll play. And, you know, she starts to look forward, just looks forward to going. So teach teach your kids to look forward to things. And, um, and I think it's a... I think that's an important thing we maybe just don't don't think about that much and that's not very that's not a very heavy topic but I think that still is important. Well, I think we can get bogged down in the everyday life, you know, and we think, well, we don't have any money to go anywhere and we don't have um anything fun coming up and I can't think of a single thing to look forward to. Well, yeah, you can if you just really stop and and think about it. Mm-hmm. There are lots of little things to look forward to that you and your kids can get excited about. Mm-hmm. And I think it just helps to um it just helps everybody to have a better attitude. And then if you take the negative of that, you know, don't be the person that doesn't look forward to, that is not looking forward to everything. Don't be the one that's always talking about 
how you're not looking forward to something or how something's going to be so awful. And then you just create a spirit of negativity, you know, around an event or around something that if, if you go to it, you'll probably be fine. Yeah. That's a very immature way to live your life as a way you had passed on to your children that negative type attitude about things. Yeah, that can be a very oppressive environment to live in. Because I've been there. I've, I've gotten that way about things, and I've had to recognize that immaturity in my heart where if I'm not looking forward to going to an event or something, well, what's the perfect example? Dance recitals. Hmm. I think if you're a man, you could think, well, I don't really want to go sit there through. So what your average dance recital usually has somewhere between 750 and 800 dance numbers in it <laughs> that you have to sit through. <laughs> it's true. And well, maybe, but something it's something like 30. I mean, that's not that's not an exaggeration. That's it's a lot, a of, lot dancing. of dances. And so you're sitting there, you think, oh, I don't want to go over there on a Saturday and spend the whole Saturday over there. But you know what? Every single dance recital I've ever been to, I've enjoyed. So yeah. not looking forward to it is stupid and it just creates a bad attitude. Right. So I've even, you know, I'm even thinking about going to all three Saturdays. Yes. That's Score. That, that's a dance dad, y'all. <laughs> that's how a dance dad do. You must be a dance dad, Chad. I'm Chad the Dance Dad, y'all. <laughs> I'm going to a bunch of recitals. Well, I just, because I, I found ways to make them enjoyable. Um, for one thing, it's dark in there. And if you need to take a little nap and just say there's two or three dances before your kid dances again, just doze off a little bit. No one even knows you're dozing. Yeah, I'm but sure there's a lot of dozing going on. There's a lot of dozing there. going on. The other thing is... That, that each kid's working hard up there and you can appreciate their hard work. And there's usually one kid that really knows the dance. And I find that kid and I watch that kid and I think that was enjoyable. They did a good job. Yeah. You know, it, or, or the other thing is to focus on the one that has no idea what they're doing. <laughs> and that could be fun too. So, <laughs> so you're going to enjoy it if you look forward to it. And you're going to see friends, you're going to see people, you know, you'll see other dance dads and be like, Oh man, this is awful, isn't it? But you're both all having a good time. <laughs> You know, you're like, you're really just proud. You're like, yeah, my kids can dance. They're good. Yeah. So that, so, you know, don't be the person, but you meet so many people who just act like everything that they have to do is the worst possible thing anyone's ever been asked to do. Yeah. How selfish you are. I mean, get over it. You can always find a positive spin on things. I don't know what people got to ruin the world. If your kids got to run at the track meet and they're dreading that. And you can just talk about the concession stand. Yeah, you're like, real, when, that, when that track meets over, you're getting a giant pickle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, or pickle. We sell we sell frozen pickle juice at the concession stand. And people buy it. So it's gross. So weird. I don't understand yeah. people, man. I was just say if so. Here you are, and you're like, you got fifty cents, and you're like, give me two pickle juices. I'm just like, dude, there's you got you can have Kit Kats out of a refrigerator. Yeah. That would be good. A cold Kit Kat? That uh, sounds good right now. I don't get the pickle juice thing. I'm going to get me a Kit Kat at all sips after this thing's over. <laughs> so that I've got a quote good. I want to share just to close this out. So this quote actually has to do with what we're talking about. I was originally going to use this at the beginning when we were talking about what a long Sunday that 
we had had because mm. it's been so busy. But this actually is about attitude. This is this is a quote from Richard Ross, which if you don't follow him on Facebook, mm. you should because he comes up with some of the most profound things just, you know, off the top of his head. Love that guy. And this is what he said about his day today. Preaching, teaching, and travel will fill almost 18 hours today. I was about to have a poor baby moment, so I read again about Christ's crucifixion. Mm. Our sacrifices are of zero consequence compared to his. Mm. Blessed is the lamb. Yeah. Really, when you've been forgiven by Jesus, you don't have a bad day. Yeah, we shouldn't. In in, in light of the perspective of the cross... You know, heard somebody saying the other day they have a have it rough, but they don't. Oh, as it was listening to a sermon last night. The preacher said, "Some people have it rough, but I don't have it rough like Christians in the Sudan." Exactly. All, you know. Yeah. So, you know, you, it, in perspective, we we have wonderful lives, and what a great gift it would be to teach kids that perspective on life so that you don't raise little kids that think they're so oppressed when they live in the greatest nation ever conceived upon the face of the earth. Right. And, and for then, those of the, for those of you in Canada and, and other places, we're glad that you listen. Um, that was n- n- in no way intended to be a dig. <laughs> <laughs> we love all countries. We love all countries. <laughs> so if you have, let's say this, you, you live in a place where you have access to high-speed internet. You, it's, it's hard to complain. Like, <laughs> you live in this awful place or something. But we can give our kids a negative attitude, and it's just really teaching them to be selfish. Yeah, so teach your kids to look forward to things. And also, hey, while you're at it, you look forward to things too. There you go. That's Find a, the positive that's spin. A, that's a great place to end. And so we're out of time, and it's been wonderful for day number six on May Madness. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.